0: Hey, everyone. Before we listen to our next episode, I would like to introduce to you the free app I use to create my podcast. Anchor.fm is easy to download and easy to use. If you are looking to start your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's see what our next guest has to say about their experience in sales in the material handling industry description of the podcast is unfiltered conversations with sales representatives across the material handling industry, friends, colleagues, leaders, influencers, success stories, overcoming failures, tough economic times, windfalls, entertainment, customers, career wins, and temporary setbacks, all wrapped up into conversations as if nobody is listening. That's, right. the, uh, that's the whole premise of, of the podcast. So The title is 30 Years of Sales Representatives in the Material Handling Industry. Uh, Hello, Material Handling World. Today is Monday, July thirteenth, 2020. Today, I have on the line Mike Joyce from OmniLift. Mike has over 30 years experience in the material handling industry, and if he is not the most accomplished sales rep in the country, I'd like to hear your arguments for who is. Mike, how are you doing today? Good, Don. Thanks for having me. (laughs) <laughs> sure thing. You are the actual first sales rep of the 30 Years of Sales Rep podcast, and it could only be fitting because of our history. Now, we're going to have to kind of get a little professional with the questions, but for the most part, what I want to do is kind of expose the real people of the industry, the sales reps, the people that have been out there every day, the people that make this um industry churn and and as you hear a lot in the hallways nothing happens until something's sold and and that starts with you it starts and ends and and I know just calling you a sales rep you have to laugh because not only do you sell for uh the material handling industry but you process you um supervise you problem solve and 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 you're really Someone that has to has to get involved at every level. So um, happy to hear, uh, happy to have you today, and happy that you are the first material handling guest. Um, so everyone knows you weren't born into the material handling world, Mike. What did you do to prepare for a job in the material handling industry, education-wise, and and that kind of thing? And we can double back on preparing for the industry because i know that's almost a laugh or two
1: so um you know i when i grew up as you know we we caddied at huntington valley country club and a lot of the uh members that we caddied for who we thought were extremely wealthy people when when in fact they they were just wealthy not extremely wealthy they were working class people like us to just happened to do well in their industry Most of them were somehow involved in sales. Um, My father was also involved in sales with IBM. So I knew at a young age that I was pretty certain I wanted to get into sales. I went to, uh, when I graduated from McDevitt, Fisher McDevitt High School, I went to Drexel. And the reason I chose Drexel is because I wanted to do the co-op program. Uh, Drexel was a five-year school, which meant doing the co-op program, I had to go to school for an extra year. Because other than your freshman year, you only go to school for six months out of the year. So my first job, I worked for a bank just basically as a bank teller. And then my last three years, I worked for IBM as what, what they would call marketing, marketing sales assistant. Got to know the salesmen, got to know the personalities, got to see what they did, was able to assist them, help them in every way. And I knew at that point I wanted to get into sales. Um, when I graduated college, Truxell had a pretty good uh, placement program where a lot of big Fortune 500 companies came on to recruit us. I wanted to work for IBM because that's where I'd been for three years. But at the time, in the late 80s, I graduated high school in 1987, IBM had already had a downturn thanks to the likes of the personal computer and Microsoft. So didn't have a job. My mother is actually working for Drexel Industries, which I'm sure you remember Drexel Industries. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Or I I had uh, I had forgotten that, but Drexel Industries of uh, Horsham, PA.
1: Right. So she worked there every Friday as the switchboard operator. And this is back when the switchboard actually had tubes where she would plug one tube in, <laughs> That's plug good the stuff. other tube out. Yeah. <laughs> so I was looking through. Uh, it was the summer of. The year I graduated, I did not place a job with anybody I interviewed with at Drexel either because they didn't want me or I didn't like the offers that were coming in or or the type of sales that it was. So my mom had mentioned that she hears people selling forklifts do pretty well. So I started looking through the ads in the newspaper, which is kind of a joke, Don, if you think about it, how (laughs) has progressed. But that's how I stumbled upon OmniLift i um approached them i dressed in a suit and tie which is another art gone by drove my resume up to on the lift dropped it off and the owner of the company happened to recognize me because he was a member at huntington valley country club where i used to caddy and did some research on me through the club pro there and got in for an interview
0: and it was a Marriage made in heaven. From that point forward, <laughs> Mike, that is that is great stuff, and and that's exactly why I'm doing this podcast. Because those type of stories and some of the things you said, for as long as we've been friends and working together, I could have never put that story together, and and, and that's that's really something. I would have guessed uh, something a little bit different, but. You know, you, uh, you, you had quite a path. And, and one thing I wanted to fill in was Mike Joyce, the person, as well. What activities did you do at Drexel besides study and, and work um, at, at Drexel University in Philadelphia?
1: So I was involved in, you know, a lot of the intramural sports there, uh, mainly basketball. I played a lot of basketball uh, with the teachers. They used to play on lunch breaks, and I got to know a lot of people through sports. Um, Just like, as you know, us growing up, we could almost relate to everybody that we knew and know today, probably through our sports activities. Um, I did play golf at Drexel. Certainly was not on a golf scholarship or anything like that, but I was good enough to be on the team. And back then, you know, golfing in college is not quite what it is today. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like if you had golf clubs
0: well, and a half of a swing you you can make the team it, it's still d1 though right it's Drexel's yes. d1 golf yeah D, so a d1 athlete in the material handling industry yes if you can call golf <laughs> athletic yes <laughs> yeah well i think in like you said things have really progressed in golf and and there was some great golf on this weekend i don't know if you caught it but you know that um, that story uh, of Drexel and and a company that you know was in our area and neighborhood, and how you searched for a job. One thing uh, I wanted to ask you, um, and, and it just cut, I figured most of the questions would come out of conversation was, you got in your car and you drove your resume to the company. I mean, can you imagine that in today's world? um and, and it sounds a lot like how we used to sell in the uh late 80s and early 90s can you uh can you give like a brief description or a, an outline of like the sales process then versus you know a sales process in, in today's 30 years 30 some years later what's the actual um time in the industry like 32 32 years wow yeah, I always think I'm a year behind you, but somehow it's two years. And for yes. some reason I, I, I always think it's a year, but it's uh but it's two years. But sales process, Mike, from you know, time you started in eighty eight or eighty nine? Nineteen eighty eight was January nineteen eighty eight was my first year in the industry. Yeah. Wow. So just for just for everyone, you know, that hasn't been in the industry for thirty years, what was it like to execute, you know, sales call, come up with a a, a quote, and, and deliver the quote? So, as you know,
1: our um, our sales manager at the time was a pretty down to earth guy when it came to selling, and he was pretty regimented on getting your body in front of the buyer's body and that is kind of a lost art in today's world with iPhones, email, webmail, all sorts of other devices that the, that the customer that Yeah, no, it's that, okay that's for my from my phone so so um, our sales manager and you you worked for him as well um, was very good at explaining that and You and I both had the same uh, training ground, being Philadelphia as a territory. So Philadelphia was a great territory to train somebody because it's fast-paced. It's active. People are down to earth. There's not as many rules and regulations about walking in and out of the building, at least back then in in the late 80s. I'm sure there are today. So it was easier then to get in front of the person and talk about what you think the customer's needs were. And a lot of times, and people probably wouldn't understand this today, but we would walk in the back door, we'd see a a worker driving a forklift, we would ask the worker, hey, can you tell me who I could talk to in regards to who does the purchasing for forklifts here for material handling? And next thing you know, the guy would say, sure, he'd walk you to an office that was usually inside the plant, inside the warehouse. And next thing you know, you're standing in front of somebody who usually... These uh, logistics guys have a pile of – back then, they had piles of paper on their desk, right? Because everything was being yeah. coupled with paper. And we would talk about what they needed. You would promise the guy a quote. You would say, we'll get you a quote on that. And getting a quote then is nothing like what it is today, right? You would have to handwrite it, carry it to the office, wait for somebody to type it up, and then hand carry it back to the customer. And you would kind of right. tell the customer we would have a quote to him in about a week. right.
0: So, the the, the, right. the speed of the
1: sale back then was a little bit slower when it came to the beginning of the sale, but the speed of the sale at the end, once the customer made the decision to purchase something, it was much quicker and easier for them to implement that purchase than it is today with all the different layers of approvals that our customers have to go through
0: to either buy or lease a piece of equipment. Right, right. And and the idea of carrying a quote, I always felt I, I always felt our generation was the last generation to do that in the industry. And I think there's a lost art there across the desk, being able to describe what you're quoting the customer and based on his needs. And, and I think that that's lost a little bit in today's world, but I mean, do you bring any of that to today's environment when, you know, you got a guy who's looking to replace equipment or fleet or, or, or how is that, is, is that just totally, is that just totally history?
1: It's not totally history. There is a lot more layers of, of personnel that you sometimes have to um, have to work with at customers to kind of get to the person who might be the actual final decision-maker. People are busier today, you know, like our customers are much busier today than they were 30 years ago. Um, And, and you would think because we have computer and technology that it would make, it would make it easier to do your job, which it does, but it also requires everybody to do more work. I mean, most of our customers, Don, as you remember, A lot of them had secretaries or administrators that weren't too far away from their desk. They may were in in the front of their office or alongside their office. And a lot of those people would be responsible for sending orders, scheduling appointments, whatever administrative tasks they needed. Um, Nowadays, everybody does their own administrative tasks, both the salesman and the customer. Right, right. But I I think it's important to understand – that you have to try to be in front of the customer. Um, like even in today's COVID world, world, it's difficult to do that. But like being in front of a customer today could be could be just a conversation over the phone. Um, I see a lot of our younger younger people in our industry. They really seem to rely on email. They 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 want to email somebody to, something to somebody and then get some sort of response back from the customer. And I believe if you too much email back and forth, just in our detailed world of material handling, and you, you know this, Don, as well right. as I do, it's a game of inches. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get those inches correct, it can come back and, and cost you. You have to ha- make sure your product is correct. And being in right. front of the person, dialoguing back and
0: forth is really the way you sell your product. Right, right. I, I do agree 100%. And, and getting in front of a customer might feel awkward at times, especially to newer people, younger people in the industry. But I know, and I think we used to say it: if we can get in front of the owner of a company or the decision maker, the sale is ours. But um, hey, wanted to follow up a follow up question in front of a customer, Mike, and I, and I'm pretty sure you still go by this, you're a suit and tie guy, correct? Still? I am a suit and tie guy.
1: I'm, I'm more of a I'm gonna say nine months out of the year, ten months out of the year, I'm a shirt and tie guy. the The o the, the coat, the suit coat Got it comes out in January and February. Um, right there 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 are customers that that I think still appreciate um, somebody dressed ultra professionally. And there's also companies that you go to that you know, they're just not used to seeing somebody in a suit and tie. And they they, they kind of look at you like you're a lost breed. And you know, <laughs> been in the industry for 32 years, and and you know I can't say that I'm a younger guy, right? In our industry, I still feel like I am. Yeah. But you know those habits I've been wearing. You know, you and I both went to Catholic schools, so I tell people I've been wearing a tie since I was in the sixth grade, and I wore right. in college when I worked for IBM. IBM was staunch on white shirt. Red tie, red or yellow tie, and a dark blue suit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's permeated its, its way into
0: my life, and it's kind of still there in the way I dress. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And I, I, like you, think that people do look at you a little bit differently. And, you know, your appearance, like we've been told for a long time, appearance, you know, in front of a customer out in public is a lot. But, um, hey, let me ask you some questions here. Uh, kind of, uh, kind of uh, easier, easier questions. And, and that's, that's great background. And I expect us to be able to check in maybe every six months or so, and, and go into detail on some specific subjects. But I appreciate that, that background, and, and kind of the way you go, go to, uh, you know, go out and, and, and attack this industry. So uh, question for you, a couple of questions, common Interview questions, just want to see, you know, where you are. What, what motivates you, Mike?
1: I think, um, you know, I think success motivates me. It's, it's not always about the money. I, I mean, usually if you're successful, money will usually uh, hold true. And I, I like to take a lot of pride also in I, I feel like I'm helping our, our customers. You know, Don, as you know, customers come to us because there's a need. They have some sort of a need, problem, whatever it is that we have to solve. If we can solve that need and make the, the, the customer's operation a little bit more efficient, I feel like we did something. We've done something to help the customer. And, um, you know, it, it's not just about how much money you make in the industry. I think it's how you feel when you walk out of a customer's building. Did I do a good job? Did I help that guy? Did that? Is that guy happy with the performance of, of Mike Joyce and his company behind them? That's to me a success.
0: Yeah, that, that's great and that's that's a great foundation. and, and I know you you've relied on that, you know for a long time. And, and like I said, I'd like to hear arguments against you know, or for someone else who's more been more successful than you have you know out face to face with customers. So question number two here, and then I'll get on to some fun word association. and like I say, I appreciate your time. Right. And and input here. And, you know, we could talk for, for weeks, months, hours on end um, about specific topics in the industry. So um, what would you say to someone looking to get into this industry?
1: Boy, um, I,
0: <laughs> I, I would first tell them
1: that there's a lot of potential. OK, so I don't know how well our industry is doing at, at growing a younger generation. Okay, there's, you know, our company, the company I work for in particular, I think does a pretty good job of maintaining its sales force. Um, A lot of our competitors, it's like a revolving door. So I'm not necessarily sure how many companies out there really believe that that it's, it's the salesman in front of the product rather than the product in front of the salesman. And I think some companies want to rely on just the product selling it. So I would tell a young, a young salesman today, like, look, the potential is here. You can grow in this industry. You can, you can have a successful career. It's just a matter of how hard you want to work and, how, and, and, and the pace that you want to work at. So you got to make sure that you know, you're not going to be successful the very first year or the second year. But once you hit your third year, you start hitting a stride, you will see how things grow. And you will see how you have confidence in yourself. Look, Don, as you know, it's not as easy today for salesmen to get into it. There's a lot more different – there's a lot of different products out there. When we got in it, we were probably selling 12 different lines of forklift – or 12 different types of forklifts. Today, there might be 37 types of forklifts. (laughs) Yeah, in one category, right? And let's not even get into the whole difference in batteries and other type of innovation that's on the forefront here
0: right we can uh, we can save that for another day or another uh, we'll bring in another uh, expert or something like that but hey i got some uh kind of uh quick hitters here and then i'll wrap up then i'll wrap up um the interview but again thanks so much um the insight you know uh is incredible so um Try to give me one word answers here. I got 10 questions and then I got 10 more and I'll give you the description. So number one, favorite sports team. (laughs) Phillies. Favorite food.
1: Peanut butter and jelly. (laughs)
0: Favorite restaurant.
1: Tex-Mex.
0: Wow. Beverage of choice.
1: Bud Light Lime.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's probably 90% of the people in Montgomery County know that. Uh, favorite pastime? Golf. Soon to be <laughs> fishing. <laughs> <with golf. laughs> Last book you read?
1: Chesapeake. Wow. Favorite movie? Midway Island.
0: I will have to look that up. All-time greatest sports figure?
1: That's a hard one to give a one, or an, one word answer to, but it was always a t- toss up for me between Dr. J and Mike Schmidt.
0: Right. Yep. Our generation of uh, Philadelphia sports uh, guys. That's great. All right. And number nine great accomplishment in your mind. Great By accomplishment you- in my mind. On my career or on my life? Well, it could be anything like the world view. Someone did something and you consider that great.
1: Boy, there's a lot of greatness in the world. Um, You know, I would just say, I'll leave it to this. I'll leave it up to all the people who do the public service, policemen, firemen, how they go upon their jobs. And, you know, they don't make a ton of money at what they do. But I think the service they provide for our country is beyond yep. what we pay them.
0: Yep, agreed one hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Includes our armed forces.
0: Yep. Uh I agree hundred percent, especially like you said, in twenty summer of twenty twenty, July twenty twenty. It couldn't be truer. Okay, number ten, music you like to listen to. Classic rock. Perfect. All right. Word association. Now, you, you got to clear your mind. First thing that comes to mind, I got 10 and then I'm going to uh, then I'm going to wrap it up. All right. Uh, first thing that comes to mind, warehouse. Big. tow motor.
1: Old school.
0: Safety yellow.
1: New school. <laughs> way. I'm sorry. What was that? Doorway. Make sure you measure it. <laughs> At height. Measure.
0: City. Philadelphia. Office day. Tuesday. Windshield time.
1: Too much windshield time. <laughs> ITA. You can't eat ITA.
0: (laughs) Success. Happiness. Good deal. 30 years of sales representatives in the material handling industry by Don McGinley. Unfiltered conversations with sales representatives across the material handling industry. Friends, colleagues, leaders, influencers, success stories, overcoming failures, tough economic times, windfalls. (laughs) entertainment, customers, career wins, and temporary setbacks, all wrapped up into conversations as if no one is listening. Mike, it, it couldn't be truer. I really appreciate your time. And I, I hope to check in with you soon. And, uh, you know, I will uh, i will um, definitely keep, keep this moment in mind and inspiration for the rest of uh, my commitment here on this podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks, Don. Have a good day. Yep, take care.